for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to San Francisco Giants radio pre- and post-game host Marty Lurie about the great Willie Mays. What a fun week it was celebrating Willie Mays, and the nation really shined its light on the Say Hey Kid number 24, the 1954 MVP and World Series champion, and an all-time great San Francisco Giant, the oldest living Hall of Famer. And I myself was a little bit surprised at how great the nation was and, and the country and these celebrities were at shining this light on Willie Mays. And it'll be real exciting and a lot of fun to talk to Marty Lurie about an all-time great and a guy that he saw play back in New York. And Marty spent a lot of time going to Ebbets Field. So a fun Willie Mays conversation coming up with one of my favorites, Marty Lurie, who joins me next. It's Monday, May 10th. It is always fun talking baseball with my pal Marty Lurie. And Marty, this is maybe maybe the best topic we could have, right? Talking Willie Mays and his 90th birthday. I think I want to jump off by saying how fun it's been this week to celebrate Willie Mays and then to get to see Willie Mays at the ballpark. It's just, for me, as, as a guy who didn't get to see him play and for a man like you who did get to see him play generations long, he's had this effect. How cool has it been this week to celebrate Willie? Well, it's wonderful, and the key word you use is celebrate, and it's uh, celebrating 90, yeah. 90 for Willie Mays. So it brings back all the memories, all the memories, the positive memories of Willie growing up in, uh, in Alabama, playing for the Birmingham Black Barons, traveling as a high school kid with that team, uh, getting up to the big leagues uh, in the period of integration. And all the things he did, it was Willie, Mickey, and the Duke in New York in the golden age of baseball. So we still get to celebrate it. And, you know, the other thing is we get to see him. Yeah. And the key is you just want to be in his presence. You want to be near him. You want to see him. And you'll know it and appreciate it for the rest of your life that you were with Willie Mays. Well, what's cool about you, Marty, is you've had this relationship with Willie now for a number of years, and we've seen, you know, you sitting and talking to him, and he's holding court in Scottsdale and all that stuff, but you got to have the transition where you saw him play. You get to see him as the baseball icon and then into having this relationship with him. Do you remember the, the first time you saw him play or your first memory of Willie Mays as a ball player? I saw him play in New York, and uh, I was at Ebbets Field, uh, the home of the Brooklyn Dodgers, in May of 1956, and it was so Mother's cool. Day, yeah. and Carl Erskine, for the Brooklyn Dodgers, pitched a no-hitter against the New York Giants. And there was Willie Mays on the field. Now, can I tell you what he looked like? Not necessarily, but I could feel his presence on the field. And uh, Erskine threw the no-hitter. So I'd say that's the first time I was really aware of him. And, of course, 1954, the catch off the Cleveland Indians and Vic Wirtz. That was one of those pictures that was in the back of the New York Daily News was in all the magazines. And I'd say probably 1954 was the first time truly aware of him because of the catch. And then watching him over the decade of the late 50s and 60s, he owned the All-Star game. Yeah, He owned it. And uh, if the National League needed a triple, he got a triple. He would tell Walter Alston, I've told this story before, Alston would say, well, Willie, what do you think about the lineup? Well, he said, look, just lead me off, put Hank Aaron second, and put Clemente third, and I don't care what you do with the rest of it. <laughs> and he would say stuff like that. So he's an amazing player, and to become aware of him in the 50s and 60s and have those images still with me today, and he's still here at 90, it's a very, very special part 
of my life and I think everyone's life, uh, who knows, Willie? He was such a joy to watch play from all the stories you hear about him. He was a showman. He wore the hat a size too big. He made the basket catches. He was great on the base pass, had the speed, had the arm, and everything you're saying, just a flair for the theatrics. And I heard Steve Kerr the other night in in wishing him a happy birthday saying he reminds me of Steph Curry. But to me, it's so much bigger because Steph Curry being in the social media age there's fame that follows guys in, in a much different way. You can have one big game and the whole country knows about it. With Willie Mays, he appeared to me to transcend sports in that way before everybody had the awareness across the country. He was a celebrity. He was an icon, right? Well, it was 1951. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he came up uh, in May, and there was Willie Mays coming up, and he was uh, hitting 477. I once said, Willie, you're hitting 474 in Minneapolis. And he says, 477, okay? <laughs> And, you know, he, he knows exactly how many all-star games and what he was hitting. But the thing to remember about Willie, and it's also about Jackie Robinson, they played this kind of baseball in the Negro Leagues. They didn't invent this kind of baseball. They just brought it to the National League where it had not been used before. And it stood out and was so exciting to see a player take over a game like this that people just gravitated to it. And that was the key in making him the special person in the country, he brought the Negro League Baseball along with Jackie in the most dynamic way to Major League Baseball. So we talk about, and you and I were texting about this, you'd mentioned to me, you know, Mays was better than Barry Bonds. And Bonds, you know, you can argue that maybe the greatest hitter ever and the way he impacted the game. Did Willie do the same thing? Just you talk about feeling his presence on the field. Did he change the game the same way? Well, I think Bonds uh, did more than Willie did, of course, because Bonds was the whole team. Right. And, you know, Bonds, if he, you know, they'd walk him, intentionally walk him 200 times. I mean, you know, stuff that they never did to Willie. It was a different game then. But Willie dominated the San Francisco Giants, the New York Giants. He was the guy. He set the defense. He ran the clubhouse. He was the guy you had to get out. And then all of a sudden, McCovey showed up and Cepeda showed up and he got a little bit of help. For Bonds, Bonds was the guy. And he had Kent with him. But for Bonds, he faced different kind of pitchers. Willie faced the greatest National League pitchers in the history of the National League during the 60s. And he got one every single day. Bonds, you can't say the same thing, but you take nothing away from Bonds. If I was putting a team together and I had to pick Willie or Bonds in today's world, I couldn't even tell you who I'd pick. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be tough to decide, especially yeah, how, today's how, game. Yeah, absolutely. How fun would it be to have Willie out there at Oracle Park, though? Roman uh, Roman Triples Alley. Well, and have him hitting. How about hitting third? Yeah, and not having to deal with the wind at Candlestick that you couldn't hold him in the park. You know, yeah. Willie would hit sixty-five home runs, and you know, without any cloud over him. Um, in this park, holy cow, how about McCovey in this park? <laughs> into the cove, they, right? The, the cove, they'd have to make it into the, you know, into the ocean, yeah. as uh, as someone once said. I, I hit it into the ocean. I think it was Max Muncy, right? Yeah, he said, go, get it, it, go get it out of the ocean. Yeah, come on. Can you imagine McCovey hitting in this yeah. place today? Holy cow. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. We talk about how, you know, all the numbers, right? He was 660, and I was talking to Kerry Crowley about it and to Murph at, at KNBR, and had he not had to go serve military time in 1952 and 53, when he retired, he probably would have had more home runs than Ruth, right? Oh, yeah, he would have, because that was the, you know, he lost 52 and 53. He came back and won the MVP. You know? Right, in 54, yeah. and he won the batting title the right. last day, which is a whole other story, I could tell you. 
But uh, for Willie, in those two years, you'd probably give him another 60, 70 home runs easily at that time because he was still a young kid, still learning the game. The Army helped him. The Army really did help him. He learned the basket catch in the Army. Wow. And the hat was uh, two sizes too small. And when he would run the bases, it would, you know, it would fall off his head. But uh, he learned the basket catch in the Army, and he did it because his uh, arm could be raised more quickly for the throws. It wasn't to be, you know, dramatic or to be a showman. It was actually to get the ball off quicker. But in 1954, it was Don Mueller, Duke Snyder, and uh, Willie vying for the, the batting title. And uh, Willie ended up winning the batting title uh, on the last day of the, of the season. And Leo DeRocher came up and gave him $1,500. <laughs> and Willie said, what's this for? You know? Yeah. And Leo said, I bet 2500 that you'd win the batting title. And that's what happened in days like that. I mean, that story came out much later. But uh, that was the last day of the season. Willie uh, beat the other two out for the batting title. How were he and DeRocher's relationship? DeRocher's one of these, he's an interesting guy in the history of baseball, played with Babe Ruth on the Yankees, and then, of course, managed the Dodgers and would have been the manager in 47 had he not been suspended because of an extramarital affair with a Hollywood star. And then he's Willie Mays' guy. And the great story about, you know, as long as I'm I'm the New York Giants manager, you're my center fielder. How about his his relationship with uh, with Willie Mays, Leo and Willie? Well, he was like a father to Willie and, uh, you know, my boy and all that kind of stuff in, in, yeah. a, in a nice way. Um, he took care of Willie all the time. Uh, DeRocher would do anything to win a game. And he realized when he had Robinson in 1947, it's not that he was in favor of integration or he was going to you know, socially change uh, the National League or, or America. But he saw a way to win games with Jackie Robinson. And he told the guys in the movie, and it's true. He said, you better watch out because Jackie's just the first because you better watch out for your job. So he took care of Jackie and he really took care. Jackie had Rachel and he didn't quite need as much uh, handholding, so to speak. But Willie did. And Willie was just a kid. You know, his dad was in Birmingham. And here's Willie in New York City in 1951 and he's playing stickball in harlem with the kids uh he's getting ice cream cones after the game he was the say hey kid and uh, leo just let him play and uh, if willie needed new suits they took him for new suits if willie was on the ed sullivan show he was on the ed sullivan show and uh, leo guided him and willie still talks reverently about Leo DeRocher. One more here for you, just about a relationship with Willie Mays. I'm wondering about, you know, he wasn't the first African-American on the Giants. He had Monty Irvin there, kind of took him under his wing. And Monty Irvin, one of the all-time great Negro League players and then uh, uh, into Major League Baseball. And Willie was adamant that in 1951 that maybe he should have won the MVP. How about, how about that relationship, Willie and Monty Irvin? Well, it's wonderful. Monty Irvin should have been the first to break the color line, yeah. but he uh, was in World War II and when the World War ended, Monty said he just wasn't ready to do it then. He needed another year, and that's when Jackie was chosen to do it. Monty was older than Willie, uh, but they say in his prime, Monty Irvin was fabulous, just fabulous. So uh, Willie always looked up to him. You know, the Monty Irvin story is interesting because Effa Manley, of course, mm -hmm. uh, the only female in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and she was a co-owner of the Newark Eagles with her husband Abe, and she had Monty Irvin on the team. And Branch Rickey in those days just would say, well, I, I, I want to get a ball player. 
and he didn't recognize contracts or anything else. So Effa Manley stood up to Branch Rickey, said, well, wait a minute. You want Monty Irvin? And he wanted Monty Irvin. And Effa said, well, if you want Monty Irvin, you got to pay me $5,000. And Branch Rickey sort of just looked at her perplexed look on his face, and his eyebrows were going up and down. And he said, I don't think so. She said, you know something? I'm going to sue you if you try to get Monty Irvin. And Branch Rickey heard that, and he said, all right. I'm going to leave Monty Irvin alone. So Monty went back to the Newark Eagles, and Horace Stoneham came in, and Effa sold the contract of Monty Irvin to Horace Stoneham, and that's the way Monty Irvin became a New York Giant. For Monty, he was the mentor on the field of Willie. And Leo DeRoche would say, look, Willie, you play center. Monty, you get on the line and left. Don Mueller, you get on the line and right. Willie, you take everything. Yeah. <laughs> Willie plays all the fields. Like you the Willie take Mace. everything. Sorry. And when Monty Irvin broke his ankle, in, I think it was in 1951 in spring training, Willie's crying. I mean, it was just devastating. But that changed Monty's, the trajectory of the rest of Monty's career. He still was fabulous. He stole home. He had a great World Series in 51. People don't realize how great a player Monty Irvin was. Willie knew it. Because Willie played with people like Monty Irvin in the Negro Leagues for years. And Willie was just 15, 16 years old. Willie would get knocked down. He'd start to cry. And Piper Davis would say, get up and just go to first base and just play your game and steal all the bases and they'll stop knocking you down. And that's the way he learned how to play baseball. It's a great story, Marty. I wish we could talk longer. Normally, we'd be sitting on the patio doing this for hours. So this is great. Are that we, we get still to... on the air? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, we're still on the air. We're still here for now. So, hey, Marty, I'll, I'll catch up with you later. And uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy celebrating Willie Mays. And, uh, and we'll catch up talking more ball soon. Pleasure. I love talking about him. It's I really best. do. It's the best. Really. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Great stuff from Marty Lurie. I, he, I mean, we could go for hours talking Willie Mays or talking old school baseball and the golden age of baseball. So thank you to Brian. Thank you to Marty. Thank you to you, the listener. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is you're listening. We love bringing you the best stories in Bay Area sports. Join us later this week back into some Warrior basketball with the playoffs right around the corner. Until then, enjoy the week. We'll talk to you Wednesday.